Hi everyone, I'm John C. Morley, the host of the J. Moore Tech Talk Show and Inspirations for Your Life. guys it is john c morley here serial entrepreneur uh great to be with you here tonight and just want to share with you uh some amazing 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 stuff uh that i think you guys are really gonna find uh pretty interesting so only um want to share some great stuff with you here and um you know we have a great show that i want to tell you about here in just a second Sorry if my voice is a little bit a uh, little off there, uh, but it's been a little bit uh, a little bit crazy because I had a lot of shows today. But um, what I want to talk to you about is the fact that um, people sometimes don't get what's right under their noses. So we are on um, the forty eighth show. We're in this. Uh, we're actually in the. Um, Second um, uh, series, uh, somebody got a little zealous there. I see him put 2024. It's actually 2023. Uh, but actually, it's right because it's actually that – is, that is still right, the title. Because it, the show, it's, it's Facebook medical with their pants down and technology for 2024. So we're, we're in the right spot there. Just I saw it. I said, oh, now I see what they did. Um, again, I apologize if my voice is a little bit raspy. Uh, i do my very best here. So you are uh, listening and watching the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. We are a live show every single week, and we air anytime between the morning and the night. We get guests all around the world. Uh, really very happy with you guys. Thank you so much for helping us grow. Uh, we're now at, I believe, over, and we have, a, we have some big aspirations. I think with where we are right now, we're almost over 7,000 downloads, so really grateful for all of you guys. Uh, whether you're here at uh, the time we air or in the morning or 3 a.m. or 3 p.m. or 12 near 12 midnight, I'm very grateful for you guys uh, to be here. So thank you very, very, very much. Uh, it means a lot to me uh, that you guys are here. And I think uh, a lot of times, you know, we want to learn stuff. I think it's about understanding the fact that uh, technology is right under our eyes, and we're going to explore some amazing technology. Uh, if you're new here, just go ahead and scan the QR code or go to believemeachieve.com for more of my amazing, inspiring creations. And um, let's get right into the show, right, everyone? Great. Uh, so tonight's show um, is this title, and it is Facebook Caught with Their Pants Down and Technology for 2024. Again, we're in the um, second series, which means we're in the second year, and this is show number 48. So let's get started, all right, everyone? So first thing I want to talk to you about is um, they're limiting the Chinese firms from winning the EV tax credits. Uh, so this is something that's been a big concern for everyone. Uh, the Biden administration, uh, basically this past Friday here, issued a long-awaited guidance that's going to limit the Chinese uh, continent in batteries uh, eligible for electric vehicle tax credits starting next year. So that's a pretty good thing. And in a win for automakers, the U.S. Treasury will temporarily exempt some trace critical minerals from new strict rules bearing materials from China and other countries deemed a foreign entity of concern. And the new rules required under an August 2022 law are designed to wean the U.S. electric vehicle battery chain away from China. So I think we're moving in the right direction. I think that's really, really cool. And let's dive into some things that are going to be happening in 2024, all right? <coughs> First thing, 
unveiling the magic of generative AI. Now I say magic, okay? And so the thing that's different about generative AI is that it doesn't just use a database. It uses its information and then it's able to build its own set of information from those repositories and create a new repository, which I think is really uh, a pretty cool thing, ladies and gentlemen. So um, definitely buckle up because uh, it's going to be a very uh, exciting and a little bit of a bumpy ride. Uh, generative AI is going to try to fuel creativity, transform industries, spark innovation, and of course, cause some concerns. I believe we're going to see a lot in the legal profession uh, changing, but that's just my aspirations of what's going on. Uh, right now, you can't get a patent on anything unless it's a human does it, but they're trying to change that. So AI models can generate text, images, music, and more with minimal human intervention. Um, they can even do things that are damaging to computers. And these models can mimic human-like creativity and adapt to a wide range of tasks. Now, how does generative AI differ from other types of AI? So while most AI systems focus on processing and you know, uh, analyze the data and make decisions, generative AI goes the step further, as I was mentioning, by creating its uh, own entirely new database on patterns it has learned. Traditional AI models, such as classification or regression algorithms, solve specific problems by finding correlations in the data. But generative AI creates its own... Um, if you will, its own uh, structure of data that it uses um, to solve problems based on what it's learned uh, to build its own pattern database. Now, what are the most popular generative AI models? So you've got a lot. Um, you've got uh, GAN's generative adversarial networks, it's a pair of neural networks trained together with one generating fake data and the other generating uh, to distinguish between real and fake data. You got VAEs, uh, variational autoencoders, and it's a type of autoencoder that learns to generate new data by approximately the probability distribution of the input data. We have uh, TBMs, transformer-based models, uh, in there, such as uh, Cohere's models like GPT-3, GPT-4, use transformer architecture to process and generate sequences of data. So... Definitely, uh, it's going to be interesting, and there's going to be a lot more unfolding as we get uh, into the thick of things next year. But I think it's still going to keep evolving over the next two to five years, and then we're going to kind of hit a point where we're going to have to make a decision on how it's regulated because I think it's not the question of uh, if people are going to use it. I think there's a lot of lazy people out there, and these lazy people are going to use it in a manner that's bad. Now, I've told you before, technology is not good. Technology is not bad. It's how people choose to use technology that's going to um, make it so. So I think we have to be, uh, you know, very cognizant of that. Um, we're going to see next year uh, smarter devices. So what is smarter devices? Well, this is this is a uh, a pretty cool thing. And I think when we think about smarter devices, we're going to talk about AI home robots, appliances. Uh, work devices and tools, wearables, uh, datafication, uh, which we'll get into in a second. But um, smarter devices are going to be able to do some amazing things uh, all because of their onboard AI. And now with generative, they're going to be able to, uh, let's say, not have to store as much information because they're going to be able to process their own. So, you know, that'll be a very interesting thing. But again, there's still going to be issues with it. Uh, we're going to see uh, decoding of data vacation. So it's basically taking all the processes into a device that use software. But if you had to ask me, you know, in plain sight, what is data vacation? Um, it's a new word. You probably haven't heard of it before. And it basically takes um, turning aspects of your life into data, which can be transferred to information uh, that can be realized as a form of value, such as things that could be used to market to you or sell to you, or just information that uh, might be useful to a potential, um, let's say, advertising groups or manufacturers. So they might know how to build something better or uh, attract you better. So that's kind of what it is. So datavacation is a new term. It's not been around for a very long time. It's a buzzword. Uh, it's come out about a few years ago, and it's used 
along the big data world. Um, and if you search the term datification in the internet, you'll probably find that um, there's a lot of information about it. Um, according to the Meyer uh, Schoenberger and Kukier is the transformation of social action into online uh, quantified data. Uh, it's allowing for real-time tracking and predictive analysis. And it's about taking uh, previously invisible processes and activity and turning to data. My question is, with us doing this, are we going to um, get into a problem where we're going to compromise people's uh, privacy and security? I think that could be an issue um, as it gets more and more. Uh, you might have heard of stories uh, many years ago where you know companies are willing to give you free toothpaste or uh, free detergent or uh, free soda or, or free uh, products for your home in regard to you uh, either a filling out a survey or you know submitting a video but what they did was kind of a little bit devilish they put a um, device on there now they told you it was on there and what it was doing is it was tracking how many times you use the toothpaste how many times you use this this product and so they're able to use that data. So you agreed to make your practice something that is public knowledge. Um, there are a lot of examples of datification out there. Uh, Facebook, Instagram. Um, there are other industries where datification is very active. The insurance industry is one. Uh, data is used to update risk profiles and business models. Uh, banking, it's used to establish trustworthiness and likelihood of a person uh, paying back a loan, human resources can identify employees of those that are uh, ones that could be a risk or liability of the company. Uh, hiring and recruitment, data used to replace, uh, let's say, personality tests, social science research, uh, replacing sampling techniques and restructuring manners in which social science research can now be performed. Netflix, uh, internet streaming provider. Uh, as you guys know, uh, provides service in more than 40 countries and 33 trillion streaming members right now. Um, if you limit the total number of, let's say, discs, the contents can be stored for a long time as the subscriber wishes. However, to rent a new disc, the subscriber sends the previous one back to Netflix, which then forwards the next available disc to the subscriber's queue. So... Um, Everything that people do is about generating money. Let, let's let's be honest. Whether we're talking about Disney, whether we're talking about Facebook, uh, whether we're talking about your local Home Depot or even your Staples, everything they do is about money. Or maybe your major stores, it could be Nordstrom's, Lord & Taylor, uh, Macy's, etc. Everything a store does is about generating business. Did you know that? Yes. Everything. I mean everything a store does is to get you to buy, okay? So stores trick you into buying and spending more. Let's talk a little bit about that. Maybe you've walked into uh, a store planning to buy just one or two things and you walk out 20 minutes or an hour later uh, with a whole shopping cart full of stuff or junk that you really didn't want or need. And if you're like most people, this has happened to you at least once. And it's especially likely to happen in big department stores that carry a variety of items. In fact, um, they call it the Costco effect, quote unquote. Uh, Well-known warehouse stores that entice shoppers with this wide array of items with irresistible prices. You know, even though there's a good deal on something, just because it's on sale doesn't mean you should buy it. Um, you might not have a need for it. And it turns out the Costco effect is no accident. Stores and restaurants use an assortment of psychological tricks to push your spending triggers and get you to spend more money than you probably originally planned. Uh, the best way to resist this kind of manipulation is to be on your guard by knowing what tricks business use to lure you into overspending. One, if you're going to go shopping in a food store, make sure you've had lunch or dinner before you go shopping. You'll find that you spend less and you actually buy what you need and not what your stomach's telling you. Because if you go shopping on an empty stomach, you'll buy the whole store, literally speaking. Um, and so let's think about what the stores do. So first they do something called first impressions. Uh, the manipulation stores use on you starts before you even walk in the door. It's common the stores will place bargain bins right near or outside the entrance where passers come in 
and attempts people to look in the bins for these closeout sales. Um, store design people are constantly speaking with people like Entrepreneur Magazine. It says shoppers are drawn to a clean, uncluttered display that showcases just a few products. And space equals luxury is what they have said. Uh, once they've managed to get you through the door, retailers really go to work on you. Every detail of the way they lay out their store has been carefully planned with one aim of mind to get you to spend, spend, spend. Traffic flow. Uh, they, if you ever notice you go to a store and like, maybe you want to go get paper, you want to go get uh, staples. It's like you get pushed all around because what you need is like moved. So just because you know where it is now, you got to waste all this extra time. You're probably gonna buy something you don't need. So here's a tip. There are several apps available that will help you save money at both retail and grocery stores. Uh, one of them is called Ibotta. When you sign up for Ibotta, you automatically receive a $10 bonus. Um, we're not affiliated with Ibotta, but that's just one of them. Aisle design. So the aisle within the stores with, with aisles, you can walk briskly along in a straight line until you find what you're looking for. By making their aisles narrower, retailers can force you to move more slowly. However, they have to avoid making the aisles so narrow that they clog up, which could cause you to get frustrated. So there's a, a little bit a caveat there. Uh, breaks and path. Many big box stores, such as Walmart, can't make their aisles too narrow because there has to be room for two huge uh, shopping carts. Instead, they slow down traffic by creating stopping points in the middle of the aisle, such as display racks or signs that catch your attention. What I call them is annoyance interrupters. Um, they're distractions, uh, rounded shapes, and people are more likely to stop at a display uh, if it's inside a U-shaped niche. Uh, at the end, stores want you to move slowly down aisle, but they also want you to keep moving down, not turn around halfway through in order to lure you on. Stores may put in interesting display at the end that can catch your uh, eyesight. Uh, many stores could get away with narrow aisles, aisles, but if they made their shopping cart smaller, but instead they've been making them bigger and bigger over time, which actually will help you put more stuff in you could take away. So there's a few trick re retailers use uh, when positioning their products. One is start with a bang. Retailers uh, like to place an eye-catching display right near the front of the store. And this makes you slow down to look at it, even if you don't want it. Uh, hide the staples. Now, many supermarkets deliberately place staple foods like bread, milk, and eggs at the back of the store. You notice if you're coming in there for milk, there's no milk in the front of the store. You have to go way in the back, and you have to go through all this, this stuff that you really don't want. And then you like, oh, like I should get that. And then like, no, no, you're just going in there to get milk. Um it forces you to walk by other stuff before you can get that stupid loaf of bread or that gallon of milk or, uh, you know, a dozen eggs. Divide and conquer. Once you manage to get your loaf of bread, there's a good chance you'll want a jar of peanut butter to go with it. However, you'll probably have to walk halfway across the earth uh, to find it, and then you're probably going to buy three or four other things. They highlight pricey items. As you're walking down a store, all the products you're most likely to see are the ones at your eye level. Store owners know this, and they charge brands a premium to have their products shelved at the height of your eyes, the eyesight level. Uh, change it up. When you're new to a store and you have to spend more time wandering through the maze of aisles to find what you want, it's good for the store since you'll see more merchandise as you go. However, once you become familiar with the store, it's much easier to go straight to the items on your list. Now, you'll notice a lot of the stores change their layout because they don't want you to get familiar with the store. They don't want you to just come in there quick and get out. Uh, they tempt you at the checkout with all that junk. A retailer hasn't managed to tempt you yet. Well, at the checkout, there's all that crap like uh, gum and other kinds of useless things that you don't want. Like maybe there's uh, inferior iPhone product uh, accessories and cables you shouldn't buy um, because they're not really Apple. Some stores even limit the number of open checkout lanes on purpose to create longer lines, which give you more time to actually eye these temptations while you're going to wait in line and probably make a purchase. So they use anchor pricing, a trick retailers often use with high-end merchandise such as electronics or designer clothes, uh, is anchor pricing. The strategy takes advantage of cognitive bias known as anchor bias. And the idea is your brain tends to latch on the to the first number you see and use it as the basis for evaluating all the other numbers. So for instance, if you flip open a fancy catalog and the first page shows, uh, let's say, um, let's say a Rolls, uh, Rolex watch and it's priced at 14,500. 
than the slightly less fancy bracelet or let's say the other Rolex on the next page is maybe only 12,500. So they do this on purpose. Another pro tip, if you do a lot of shopping online, um, you can sign up for different things. You'll get Ebates and stuff like that. Um, a related strategy store sometimes uses the Goldilocks pricing method, uh, displaying similar products in sets of three. One product that's very well-made but very expensive, one that's really cheap and looks it, and one that seems to be decent quality and has a price right in the middle. They figure you're going to buy one of them. Special offers, coupon deals, limit time values, freebies, X for X. Suppose you're at the grocery store. Um, you know, you see this big display. There's a shelf full of canned beans with a big sign, 10 for $10. People, a lot of times if you go buy, let's say you buy three or four, you still don't get the discount. But if you buy the 10, then you get the discount. Limits on purchases, a sneakier, a sneakier trick. Retailers used to get you to fill up your car is to label the bean display limit 10 per customer. This makes it look like the price is such an extra special deal. The store has to limit the amount each customer is allowed to have. And um, let's say max of eight cans per customer uh, for canned soup could cause customers to buy more of it, even if the price hasn't dropped at all. Um, so every day, the not so low prices will get people to buy because they need them. They tweak numbers. Uh, you might have noticed the stores uh, price things like $3.99, $49.99, rather than $4, $50. The idea is that when you see the number $49.99, your mind notices the initial figure and skips over the rest. And you think of the item as costing only 40 something dollars rather than roughly $50. It's a, it's a psychological trick. Uh, a 1996 journal in the Journal of Retailing confirmed that stores sell more when the offer price ends with $99 rather than round off to the nearest dollar. Sometimes retailers work against this expectation by pricing products at an even dollar value, say $40 instead of $39.99. So there's different tactics they use. Uh, they use status pricing. They appeal to your senses like color. And we've seen this. They use lighting to attract you in. They use music. They use smells. Um, it's big business for them. Uh, sales pitches. I know some stores will say, you know, welcome in, welcome in. And they want to welcome you in within two or three seconds. And then they want to let you know about their specials. I don't like that because I think that's like obnoxious. Another way salespeople um, go to create a feeling of closeness is mirroring or subtly copying your gestures and tone of voice. They're very, very shrewd, but smart. Uh, touchy feely saleswoman. If a saleswoman you're dealing with is female, uh, physically touching you can help her persuade you to spend. Um, found that both men and women became more willing to take risks with their money when a female or female, um, let's say, um, uh, salesperson patted them lightly on the shoulder. Now, this strategy only works for saleswomen, not for salesmen. In the 2020-10 study, a gentle pat from a male researcher didn't have the same effect on subjects because it was more likely to make them uncomfortable. So I think there's a lot happening. And the bottom line is they're going to learn about your data. So be careful what you actually give up. Um, AI and ML, uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning, uh, is revolutioning hospital resource management. So you're probably wondering how they do this. Well, they're using artificial intelligence and the machine learning to say the trends of the hospital. Uh, and then the system can actually make uh, buying recommendations, where to buy them, uh, when to buy them. So it can keep track of all these things. And it can even do like, let's say price matching, which a lot of you have done. I know uh, it's probably been about 10 years. And if I go to the store, whether I'm uh, online and uh, maybe I have to go get something at a local store and I see it somewhere online for this price, I'll take that on my phone, take a picture, print it out, and then I'll bring it to the store. I'm like, even though it's this price, I'll price match it. I average price matching probably about five to $10,000 a year. So you're throwing away a lot of money if you don't price match. And now it's big misses for hospitals and, and lots of other businesses using artificial intelligence and machine learning to create patterns of things that it recommends and things that work, it'll learn from that. Things that don't work, it'll also make changes. So this is really cool. Now, I have another one that's, I think, really, really cool that I want to share with you. Um, we all know about uh, different things that happen. But, you know, recently there was a company, you probably know Pepsi, 
uh, and they did this thing in London um, with what they call extended reality. So we all know what augmented reality is, and we know what virtual reality is. We've talked about this many times, right? But just to give you um, a rundown, you might be saying, John, what is what is uh, the difference between AR and VR? Okay, so augmented reality, okay, there is a difference. And so um, virtual reality takes over your vision to give you the impression that you're somewhere else, okay? Augmented reality um, adds things to the site that you already see. Okay, so while virtual reality replaces your vision, augmented reality adds to it. Air devices such as uh, the Microsoft HoloLens and the Google Glass, you wear them, and it adds things that are not there but make you think it is there. All right, so here is the real cool thing. So Pepsi, all right, um, this first debuted uh, a while back. Pepsi Max excites Londoners with an augmented reality uh, first. And so uh, they started doing this in 2014. Now, it's just starting to catch on now. They were doing experiments back then. We're going to see this going to be a lot more than just um, that. So the technology, um, it's exclusive to Pepsi Max, was launched on one of London's busiest roads, uh, the new Oxford Street. And a bus stop um, digital six sheet was transformed to show a live feed of the street ahead and give the illusion of a see-through display. And so it was a, a window, um, and it looked just like a see-through display, and people are like wondering, you know, like, why would they do this? Why would they give up that valuable real estate, right? So ever as the people wait and watch, a series of incredible scenarios happen, like uh, uh, UFOs appeared, bombs appeared, um, monsters came out of the ground. And the concept was part of PepsiCo's integrated campaign for the UK, which brings Pepsi's Max, unbelievable combination of maximum taste and no sugar to life. It follows another media first from Pepsi Max, uh, which saw consumer generating vines integrated across the site. And the latest stage of the campaign planned um, created the production and creative technology by a, um, a visual company. And the thing is, is are we going to see more of this? I think so. The problem I have with it, okay, not that it's not ingenious, not that it's not, you know, earth shattering. I think it's a little too uh, intrusive, okay? I think um, XR is too intrusive uh, for advertising, okay? Um, and so what they've said, and this is actually uh, by the Vice President for Communications in Michigan News and the University of Michigan, XR advertising could be a consumer threat if, left unchecked now when it's trying um one thing or another maybe it's uh trying a lipstick or clothing online or using floor plane software to find out furniture will fit in your house coke using uh a cell phone businesses are, are finding new ways to do things investments in augmented uh and virtual reality are known as what we call mixed or extended reality and it's expected to really um expand the coming years from the 2019 10 billion to 62 billion by 2027 they've just been researching to see how it works and they know it has a strong effect we all know that um in the movie and a lot of people will deny it that when they showed these these signs of coke and pepsi and food it made people want to eat now they all denied it but did increase the sales of food so the question is, uh, there are many ways uh, this can happen. And the thing is, if we're not careful, okay, XR advertising is what I call manipulative advertising. You guys know I'm in the media industry for quite a long time. I think being journalists, we have to be conscientious about what it is that we're doing and how we're doing it. But you see, a lot of um, media companies will sell their soul. They don't care what they're doing. All they care about is they're bringing money in. 
And if they have to lie to you, if they have to manipulate you, even if they have to cause you distress, they don't care. You know, the problem I see is this could affect people with seizures. This could affect other people that have other type of mental disabilities. It could be a real, real problem. And I see it could cause people to even have physical uh, unavoidable accidents because they get so crazy, right? So definitely some interesting things happening there. Um, building digital trust, right? And you might be saying, John, how do you build digital trust? Well, it's not easy. You have to first figure out what is trust. You have to understand what your clients want and their expectations. You have to do more than just say this or just check boxes. You have to keep people informed. You have to monitor social media. You have to show care. You have to be responsive. You have to exceed expectations. And most importantly, you have to preserve their data. Um, there are lots of companies out there trying to build um, trust, but they fail. Um, I'm not going to mention any of them right now, but there's one company out there, a very big company, and they made a major screw up in their software. And it was so serious that it caused a backdoor into their world because they forgot one little thing. And this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about. All right. So just want to share that. These are all the trends of what's going to be happening and growing as we move into 2024. So that's what the show is about. Uh, 3D printing is more than just fun. Um, and you might be asking me, John, you know, how is 3D printing going to grow in 2024? Well, there's a lot. Um, there, <coughs> there are different materials. Um, prototypes are going to be cheaper to make. Uh, and I think people are going to be able to see that they can now print the parts they want. Um, the other thing that you'll notice is that there's all different types of 3D printers out there. But 3D printing is a very interesting, I mean, it's a very, very interesting industry. The question is, uh, how are the applications changing? And they are changing. I mean, they're changing. Materials are changing. Uh, the exometry, advanced 3D printing is changing. Uh, 3D printing is not just a boring printing like it was in the past. It's another tool that's available to designers and engineers and manufacturers to get prototypes. And one of the most exciting things in the future of this additive manufacturing is building a robust set of other tools where a customer can press buy on their site and they get the part that they expect pretty interesting where this is going, but we still have a lot more to work on. I want to talk about geonomics. What the heck is that? So it's an alternative to economics and it's not a discipline, but it is a real science, which supposedly has some answers. Um, when we think about geonomics, geo, as you probably know, means earth. Etymology of nomis, um, field, uh, rules, order, manage the field, finally law. Literally, genomics means earth law or natural law. And so um, where it's going is uh, got some issues. Economics, as we know, has a lot of flaws. Uh, science um, has some flaws too. And so what they're trying to do is replace genomics with economics. Um, genomics has a lot going for it. Genomics, notice how, uh, economies are part of an embracing ecosystem. Um, economists call what they do, the study of scarce resources. And so, you know, they produce bigger surpluses, not just from techno progress, but other things they do as well. And not just from climate change, uh, length and growing season, etc. So, I feel that genomics is going to be a new discipline that people are going to embrace to help become more profitable as individuals and as businesses. And we're going to see more businesses that are going to become genomics certified. It's coming. It's not here yet, but it's coming.
it's kind of like, you know, the insurance companies don't want to pay for this or pay for that. But later on, they do, right? Same thing happening with this. Geonomics is going to be a new standard. Yeah, a new standard. So how do you get geonomic um, certified? Well, there um, is the American Board of Medical Genetics and Geonomics. And uh, it kind of interlaces not just the world, but people. Um, you know, um, let's say uh, genomes, uh, chromosomes, uh, things like that. So we're going to see a big change, and AI is going to definitely be a big part of that world. All right, so new frontiers in energy solutions. So you know we've got wind, right? Um, we've got hydroelectric power with water. Uh, we've got wind power. Um, we've got nuclear power. Um, we've got marine power. So there are lots of different power types that are going to be sustainable energy, but it's also not going to hurt our world or our resources. I think that's a really, really, really cool thing. And I know what you're probably saying to me, John, you know, uh, what is the new energy types? And so, like I said, there are lots of new energy types. And according to Forbes uh, a while back, uh, we're going to see a lot more because of AI. Um, AI in the energy sector is going to be huge, transforming energy and utilities and using things like forecast demanding and managing distribution of resources. We're going to see a lot. Um, and uh, there's going to be green hydrogen energy, um, supposedly one of the most abundant materials in the universe and produces close to zero greenhouse gas emissions when burnt. Um, it's like the internet of energy, right? Uh, the area of the Internet of Things is concerned with the generation and distribution of power. The IOE is tied to the idea of energy decentralization. You might have heard this before. So, you know, people say, oh, gee, you know, if you do this, you do that. You know, we're going to be your energy uh, supplier. You're still going to deal with uh, your energy provider, but we're going to be your supplier. And it confused people because it still comes through your pipe, but yet they're just going to bill it differently, which is just a little crazy. Um, so it's going to require a little bit of a different shift for some people. Um, people are going to start realizing that there's going to be bioenergy. Uh, and I think as we start to understand where we're going and how the world has these capabilities, we're going to have to start coming up with new solutions and then we're going to have new problems. And those new problems we have are not good. They're not bad. It's just, they're different and we're not used to thinking about them. Uh, of course, things like, you know, quantum physics and, and quantum computing are going to help us solve these problems because if we had to do that on a regular computer, we could be talking several hundred or more years when this could be done in maybe 10 or 15 minutes or less. So I feel where our world's going, we're getting new tools uh, right now from AI. Um, we're getting other things like, you know, we're getting Web 3.0. And people ask me every day, John, what is uh, what is Web 3.0? So Web 3.0 is the idea for new iterations of World Web that uh, incorporates things like decentralization, blockchain, and token-based economics. So will there be a Web 4.0? Um, well, right now, I think we will see it. And we're not going to see it for a while. Um it's going to break down the internet the way we know it. And the internet is in a transitionary phase right now from 2.0, 3.0, known as the semantic web. And there's lots of possibilities, but they are kind of working on 4.0. Um, 3.0 is developing quickly. This is why we need things like, you know, faster uh, internet. We need better uh, Wi-Fi, which is why we're going up from the 5G and eventually the 6G. Um, and it's because of the metaverse. That's what's bringing this in. So what is 4.0? 4.0 is going to be in crypto, uh, inspiration taken back from four tweeting of Elon Musk, remember, and the Twitter founder, Jack Dorsey. Um, Web4 is the meme coin for the apparent thing. So you know, I think there's a lot changing 
I, I think that's going to be um, something that a lot of us don't quite understand. Um, but it's going to it's going to definitely cause us to ask more questions, and we're going to need more answers. And we're going to get more questions. So don't be confused with the actual infrastructure foundations and perimeters of Web 4.0. Web 4 was created as a meme coin that intends to evolve into a movement focused on easily accessible decentralization. We are not there yet, ladies and gentlemen, but 3.0 is going to start that, that bridge. All right, the last thing I want to cover tonight, because we've covered an awful lot here tonight, um, is I want to talk about Meta. Meta's urgent clarification on child safety measures by December 22nd, 23. So Facebook was caught. Facebook, Meta, whatever you want to call them, was caught with their pants down and technology for 2024, as we we're talking about. So what does that really mean to everybody? Sorry, my eye, eyes have got a little bit under my eye. Um, I feel that it's going to be different, right? A lot different. And the thing is, these big companies... Um, are going to have to make choices, okay? Um, they're going to have to make choices. Um, and I'll tell you uh, that it's it's definitely uh, an interesting thing. And so, you know, the American's law, premier law enforcement, uh, had been rocked by a trio of scandals involving, you know, hookers, drugs, et cetera. And the episodes that this was coming from were coming from a lot of social media. So the question is, you know, why, why is, is Facebook, um, I'll call it Facebook meta, uh, guilty of, of sexual charges. Okay. Well, um, this is the real reason. So meta, um, is expanding child safety measures as government and press reports. But the question is, why? Uh, what is, uh, or what does the European Union want from Facebook about child sexual uh, acts? What, what, what are they trying to figure out? So the EU, European Union wants to know how Meta is going to tackle child sex abuse. So the European Union uh, just recently demanded Instagram owner Meta to provide more information about measures taken by company to address child sexual abuse online. Now, the request for information focuses on Meta's risk assessment and mitigation measures, and I quote, linked to the protection of minors, including regarding the circulation of self-generated child sexual abuse material. Um, that's quoted SGCSAM. So SG, self-generated dash CSAM, child sexual abuse material on Instagram. And this was according to the European Union. Now, Meta also uh, must give information about Instagram's um, recommender system and application of potentially harmful content. The investigation is the first step in procedures launched under the European Union Digitals Act, but it does not itself constitute an in, uh, indication of the legal violations or a move towards punishment at this time. Meta must respond by December 22nd, 2023. And a report recently put in by Stanford and the Wall Street Journal in June this year said that, and I quote, Instagram is the main platform used by pedophile networks to promote and sell content showing child sexual abuse. Ouch. So Met at the time said it's working aggressively to fight child exploitation. The commission has already started a series of investigations against uh, large digital platforms seeking information about how they are complying with the DSA. And uh, it has sought more information from Meta uh, in the past uh, October, this past year, and also disinformation as well as requests for information. The DSA is part of the European Union powerful regulatory armory to bring big tech to its heels. So you might be asking, so what is DSA in European Union? It's called the Digital Services Act. And it first came into birth around December 15, 2020. But we're going to see that platforms are going to face fines that can go up to 6% of global turnover for violations. So the question is, um, it's, it's a really big problem. And so, you know, everyone is writing about this. 
Facebook has switched off some of its child abuse detection tools in Europe in response to new rules. And the company said it had no choice but to do so since the new privacy directive bans automatic scanning of private messages. The change only applies to messaging services rather than all content uploaded to Facebook. However, there's no change in the UK where measures are consistent with applicable laws, according to Facebook. And so um, they're uh, you know, trying to spot exploitation. The new rules uh, updated uh, to review the privacy protocols, newly created violent um, and exploitative images not yet logged by investigators. And there's a lot that they're doing. And I think... Things like, you know, what's happening. Providers will not be able to continue to take such action unless a legislative measure is adopted with urgency and brought into effect by the 21st of December. And I think, you know, it's a big problem. And there is no such exemption on time, unfortunately. Um, Facebook's going to have some challenges. Facebook will have some challenges. Yes, Facebook challenges. Um, and 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 the question is, uh, you know, European Union is being tough. European Union is being extremely, extremely tough. So it started back then. It's now getting even more serious because uh, Facebook was under pressure in, in last year and this year. And now the European Union just really wants to say enough's enough. Um and although they're saying that they're expanding their their childhood, I mean, talk is cheap, right? And the European Union, we saw what they did. They they had Apple come to their knees by forcing the phones to go to USB-C, right? And even other devices. So, um, you know, there's a lot happening. And I feel that as we move through uh, some of these changes, we're going to notice that uh, this is a really, really big problem. And um, you have to realize that transparency is very important, but privacy is also very important. And so as we progress through 2023 and 2024, we're going to see that, uh, you know, Facebook, meta, uh, sexual, um, let's say, uh, privacy act, uh, it's going to be an issue if they don't follow it. Um, you know, they shut down thousands of, of, of fake, uh, Facebook accounts and meta accounts. Uh, but I think a lot of times people don't understand what's going on. And, you know, we have to remember November 30th, Facebook parent meta sues the FTC claiming unconstitutional authority and child privacy case. So my whole thing is this. If you are trying to do everything you can, work with them, right? If you're trying to fight this, I got to say this thing that you've probably seen before. It looks like a duck, talks like a duck, quacks like a duck. It's probably a duck. So in the case of Med and Facebook, if they're really, truly innocent, then why are they playing this game of trying to go after them? If, if they're just asking for information and they're trying to just make sure things are fair, I don't want to speak here out of term, but I think Facebook might be hiding something. And they know that too. Yeah. So I know that uh, they say they're adding these new tools, but my question is, is this just a song and a dance? Uh, they claim that uh, back in June, they were to combat trade of child sexual abuse materials. But did they really? Did they really? I feel that the uh, European Union is on the right track with this. And I think just because you're a Facebook, you're a Google, you're a whoever, no one should be exempt from these rules. Hey, guys, you know who I am by now. Of course you do. I'm John C. Morley, serial entrepreneur. You know, it's always a privilege, a pleasure, and honor to be with you guys uh, talking about the latest tech trends and just sharing all kinds of information with you guys because I just love to provide data and I love to share content and I'm open to your feedback. So please uh, definitely reach out to me. I hope you guys have an amazing, 
uh, rest of your weekend. Happy uh, December 1st. Uh, we are in December. And I'm going to leave you with this, ladies and gentlemen. Technology is not good. It's not bad. It's how we choose to apply it in our life and what we choose to use it for that makes it so. Have yourself a fantastic, ladies and gentlemen, rest of your night and rest of your weekend. Please check out Believe Me Achieve for all of my amazing creation. Click on that link. Help keep our content free. Make the choice, ladies and gentlemen, to buy my team and I a cup of coffee, a bowl of fruit, or a scrumptious bowl of desserts. Either way, we'll be grateful. Those pennies and dollars will invest into new hardware, new technology, new equipment, new software, even new facilities to give you the most jaw-dropping motivational content. Incidentally, we are now streaming live on uh, Instagram, Go Social, Jaymore. Uh, you can catch that. We are working on streaming other places as well. Um, but people have been asking us to stream on, on um, an Instagram, so we're now doing that. I hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your um, night and weekend. And I'm going to catch you guys next week for the next Jaymore Tech Talk Show. It'll be show 49. And I want to let you know that we have all other content at BelieveMeAchieve.com. Go check it out. I think you guys will be really um, enlightened with the content I have. So have a good one, everyone. Be well. And remember, if technology seems like it's getting intrusive, see what information is really being shared. And do you have to share it? Because I think this is the big challenge that everyone's facing right now. When you get that discount, you get something for free. There is no free, ladies and gentlemen. It's really an illusion because of you, let's say, giving up your information or we'll call it tyranny, um, you are sacrificing your privacy. So don't sacrifice your privacy. Guard your privacy and make sure that when you make a purchase online, you always do it through a secure lock or key and that it's a validated website. Otherwise, you could be just giving information away to a bad actor. Have yourself a great rest of your night and a good weekend. Everyone be well. 